You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. This is Mike Pearson, and you can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Mike Pearson. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for tuning in to AOA. Today, we've got a lot coming on today's program. We're going to dig into these commodity markets with Brian Split of agmarket.net here in just a moment. Before segment two, we're going to get the rundown on how that wheat crop looks coming out in Kansas. Marsha Boswell of the Kansas Wheat Association will join us. They've been providing their harvest updates for the past two weeks. She's going to fill us in on the full situation. And in segment three, we're going to dive into policy. USDA made a huge conservation funding announcement earlier this week. Josh Bate, policy editor over at Farm Progress will be joining us fill us in on those details. Before we get to all of that, however, a quick look at the commodity markets in the grains shows traders apparently taking the time to catch their breath today. Joining us now is Brian Split of agmarket.net. Brian, how, how do you interpret a move like today after the volatile week we've seen uh, so far? Yeah, Mike, so far it's been a pretty quiet morning. Uh, one of the downside objectives in December corn was the gap that was left on the way up. Uh, that was at 533. So that was filled during the night session. And uh, we uh, tried to bounce off of that uh, up to about 540, pulled back to 535. And it's been a quiet morning. I just feel like a lot of the participants in this market could use a day where we are close to unchanged, just to, as you put it, catch our breath a little bit. We do have a big report tomorrow where we're going to get an update on acreage and uh, the quarterly stocks for all grain products. And so uh, there's going to be a, a large data dump tomorrow and, and another round of volatility. So I think we could all use a, a quiet day ahead of that. It's a large data dump ahead of the holiday, a 4th of July holiday, two days followed by a short trading day and then a vacation day on Tuesday of next week. Brian, A, I guess, what are your expectations for the reports tomorrow? A, expecting big changes on acreage? No, um, you know, our internal numbers, we're looking for a slight uh, uh, decrease in corn acres and a slight bump in, in soybean acres. And so I think if our numbers came to fruition, I really don't believe that would be a, a market mover at all. Um, and, and so typically on these reports, uh, the stocks number is what is going to be the, the uh, market mover. Uh, we have history of, of the USDA finding and losing 100, 150 million bushels in corn. And uh, that's important when that happens because that is bushels that are either here or aren't here right here right now. Uh, and that has an immediate impact on the balance sheet. Uh, now, that does not mean that we won't get a surprise on acres that very well could happen. Um, but uh, traditionally, the stocks number is going to be the market mover on a report like this. Brian, given that this could be a mover, given that we've got this volatile time period ahead of us and that we are still dry heading into the 4th of July holiday, are you advising growers to do anything before the end of this week, before we get into July? You know what? It's one of those things where um, it's tough to make a strong stance in the market and say you need to do something right here, right now. I think the time to do something was a week ago. Um, and unfortunately, the market has dropped uh, nearly a dollar in December corn, uh, a little over a buck in November soybeans. Uh, so if you do do something ahead of this report because you feel like there's still downside risk, uh, I would try to make that uh, as cheap a play as possible. Um, you know, you can burn a few cents of premium if you need to, to have a floor under the market. But I think if you're doing that, that's in an effort to hope that that premium goes to zero because the market gave us a bounce. And I think that's entirely possible. We've got rain in the forecast. We'll see if it verifies. Uh, it, maybe you get a little bit of a sell to rumor by the fact on the rain event. And I think as we get into July, uh, the expectation is the, the WASD uh, report will show a lower yield. Lower yield, Brian, soybeans, new crop soybeans. You mentioned we've seen that uh, seen that big drop there as well. We've got a lot more of the growing season ahead of the soybean crop in this country. Corn, so much of it heading into pollination here shortly. Soybeans, where do you see, what are the trajectories you're watching for in new crop beans here from a price perspective? Well, interestingly, um, this corn market as a percentage of the rally has taken back much more. And I think that's a product of 
um, just being closer to our, our major key development stage, which is pollination. Uh, so we've already retraced well over 62% of the rally from the May low to the June high. When you look at soybeans, for example, uh, we have gotten very close to a 50% retracement, but not quite, uh, missed it by a couple cents. Um, so I still think there's a lot of weather ahead for the bean market. Um, maybe we get a, a period down the road into late July, August, when we get excited about weather for soybeans. If it does have a hot and dry spell there, I would expect soybeans to be the leader to the upside at that point. Maybe that gives you a late season opportunity on corn that hasn't been marketed. Uh, but don't expect the corn rally if it happens later in the, in the year uh, by a bean-led rally to, to be to the same extent. Brian, we saw you know EPA announcement two weeks ago really make the soy products market go wild for a day. We had limit moves in soy oil, near limit moves in meal. As you look out over the rest of the summer, are there any particular concerns you have in the soy product side of the ledger? Uh, just long term, um, and, and there's going to be an issue here as we spin up more and more uh, crush plants where we are crushing for one product, which is going to be the oil for the renewable diesel initiatives. And uh, not that we don't need meal, but we just don't need that much meal. And so I, I think there's going to be uh, a concern as we go over the next couple of years of, of trying to spur additional meal demand. Uh, and we saw a really atypical export of soybeans to Spain recently. And so what happened there is we sold uh, beans to Spain for them to crush. And we did that because we wanted them to keep the meal there and then send the oil back to us. And it actually penciled out to work. Um, so you wonder if you're going to see more of that moving forward where we send product or we send the actual bean somewhere to be crushed elsewhere so the meal isn't still in the U.S. when the final product is made. That's fascinating. It, could Argentina be a partner in that as they've got all of this capacity not being utilized after their short harvest? Um, you know, I don't know. Anything is possible, I suppose. Uh, you know, especially maybe in a year where they have a deficit in their production, you might see more of that type of thought process. Now, I would say in a, in a year where they have a bumper bean crop, probably not. Uh, but, um, you know, it, I think there, there, there's individuals in the market and participants that are looking for new ways to do things. So I wouldn't be surprised to see some some uh, new developments and, and new initiatives being made. Grain traders always, always thinking creatively when it comes to finding that margin. Brian, before we let you go, 4th of July is coming up next week. A lot of folks will be throwing beef on the grill. Are you optimistic for live cattle prices throughout the summer? I am. Um, I, I think one thing that we have to be mindful of in the long run is that as the price of corn comes down, we should continue to see placements uh, at good levels. Uh, we saw that uh, the May placements, for example, well, we had December corn trade below $5 briefly in the month of May. And I think that large break in, in corn values helped out those placements. Um, now, the month of June saw prices go over six. So maybe June won't be as exciting. But with prices coming back down, especially if we maintain a downtrend into uh, into uh, August, I think you're going to see placements continue to, to be robust. But uh, as far as the short term, I think De December live cattle, for example, broke out of a bull flag to the upside here recently. And and uh, if it comes to fruition, it, it suggests we're going to see some new contract highs yet. Wow. Yeah. December live cattle breaking out those deferred months, still showing some opportunity, it sounds like, Brian. Yeah. And you look at feeders, you had an island bottom and then you had a, kind of a second island made. You know, we gapped lower twice on the way down. We gapped higher twice at really the same levels on the way back up. Uh, and that's a very, very strong move. And, and so it looks like your feeders uh, have some further upside yet as well. Might be a lot to watch there, folks. We've been talking with Brian Split of agmarket.net. Stay with us. Marsha Boswell will give us the update on Kansas Week when we return. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. Why do you listen? I like to hear about the weather and the stocks and the animal prices. It's good to know because I have a lot of customers who come in the store and that's what they ask. I want to stay informed. I want to know what's going on in my town. I also want to be entertained, whether it's sports or music or, you know, an update on the weather. I just want to stay informed while I'm on the go. Why do you listen? Go to whyilisten.com, tell us why you listen, and you have a chance to win $500. Visit whyilisten.com today. 
Tune in the first Wednesday of every month to listen to the monthly grind here on AOA. It's brought to you by our friends at the National Corn Growers Association, and each month we're going to dig into one specific aspect of corn demand. What happens to this grain after it leaves your operations and enters the global supply chain? That's what we're going to talk about each month on the monthly grind. Again, that's the first Wednesday of every month, and you can also find us wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. It's a show you don't want to miss. Put a frog in a pot of boiling water and it'll jump right out. But put a frog in a pot of cool water and slowly heat it up, that frog will boil. As a metaphor for us and all that we go through as veterans, it's a story that rings true. We learn to endure the heat in silence. We apply what we learn to life, the bills, the job, the family, things we're expected to handle with ease. When life heats up around us, we just try to stay afloat. We let the water boil. Reaching out isn't easy, but you've never been interested in easy. You join because you are not afraid of hard work. You are not a frog. If you or a veteran you know needs support, don't wait until the water boils. Reach out. Find resources at va.gov reach. That's va.gov reach. Brought to you by the United States Department of Veterans Affairs and the Ad Council. Nothing offers an opportunity to bond and give thanks quite like breaking bread together. This is especially true as we welcome our troops back home and keep those who are still stationed overseas in our hearts. Hi, I'm Gary Sinise. Since 2011, the Gary Sinise Foundation's Serving Heroes program has shown gratitude to our nation's defenders and their families by serving up nearly 500,000 hearty classic American meals at travel hubs and military locations. And now, together with our friends at Bob Evans Farms and their Our Farm Salutes program, we will help to provide even more meals nationwide, offering our defenders a taste of home and a feeling of togetherness around the table. Help us show America's gratitude through food and fellowship. Look for the Bob Evans Our Farm Salutes purple packaging at your grocery store and visit ourfarmsalutes.com to learn more. While we can never do enough to support the men and women who serve together, we can make a difference, bite by bite. This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. AOA continues today. We just heard from Brian Split about how these markets are reacting given the wacky weather we have seen across the country. And no place has that weather been, I don't even want to say wackier. It's not even worth joking about. The state of Kansas has been a drought bullseye for the better part of three years, and those farmers persist. Joining us now is Marsha Boswell. She's with the Kansas Wheat Associates. They've been out touring the state here this harvest season, getting the lowdown on how that crop looks through and through. Marsha, thank you so much for taking the time to join us here today. Good morning, Mike. Thanks for the opportunity to talk about Harvest this year. I, I kind of wish I had better information to share with you, a little better news. Well, that's the thing. I mean, this has been a really tough year for Kansas growers. Marsha, if you would, could you just give our listeners outside the state of Kansas a, a rundown of what this past year has been like there on the ground for most of these growers? Sure. So this, this wheat crop went in last fall in drought conditions. Some of the places got a little bit of rain at planting and, and went ahead and got the crop in. And then most places across the state really didn't get any significant rainfall um, from planting clear through April and in, into the first part of May. And so what we saw was a lot of wheat that didn't even emerge in the fall, or if it did emerge in the fall, it didn't um, come out of dormancy in a with with any moisture and and be able to you know start growing again and and develop into the crop and so at that point there were a lot of um, insurance adjusters out looking at at fields that were going to yield or estimated to yield one bushel per acre or five and so we saw a lot of abandonment at that time um, and then and then rain started coming in in May. And so that's made for a unique situation as well. Um, some of those fields that were maybe not as quite quite as far along, especially like in the northwest and higher elevations, 
they benefited a lot from those rains that started in May um, in Greenfield. And so there are definitely going to be some some brighter spots in the state, but overall um, we're not out of the drought, uh, even with the rains that we've gotten in the last couple months and that we continue to see through harvest time here. Um, it's it's still there's a lot of um, drought conditions still in the state. Absolutely. I mean, it is still kind of the lone red area on the drought monitor week after week after week. Marsha, I understand the Kansas wheat crop, according to USDA, at least uh, earlier this week, was at about 21 percent complete. And that is substantially behind the five year average. Is that because of the recent rainfall keeping growers out or are folks trying to let this wheat run, see if it can pick up any extra grain fill? Um, I think it's it's the rain. Yeah, the average at this point in time would have been 38%. And like you said, we're only at 21% harvested. And that's just because we've gotten some showers in different locations and kept farmers out of the field. Um, but there's there's also something that's come in with the rains and that's weeds. There's been a lot of weeds in some fields. And so farmers are having to make a decision of, you know, if they have to control that before they can go back in and harvest. And so that slowed some things down as well. I also just think there's there's not too much excitement about this crop when you're um, you've got other things going on on the farm and you're trying to get your maybe your grain sorghum in before um, before you get to harvest. So it just hasn't really picked up with with those rains and other things keeping farmers out of the field. That makes sense, Marsha. It's tough to get excited about picking a short crop in challenging conditions when the market is taking a dollar away, it seems, in the weeks. If you could, I understand uh, Kansas Wheat has been out over the past uh, two weeks here talking to growers as they're working through harvest. And I know there have been a lot of struggles across Kansas, Marsha, but have there been any areas that have seen a good or exceptional wheat crop across the state this year? Well, you know, the eastern part of the state, while also in drought conditions, um, you know, wheat is a drought tolerant crop. And so it was able to do well on the rainfall that they did receive. And so, you know, eastern Kansas is a bright spot. There's not a whole lot of wheat grown in that third of the state, um, but yields have been pretty, pretty good there. I think, like I mentioned, northwest Kansas, we haven't started harvest there yet, so we haven't seen any yield data coming in, but I think there's an opportunity for some decent yields there. Um, South central Kansas, where typically they, they have pretty good yields, has been a bit of a struggle. Um, and they, like I said, they've gotten rain where they've had to get started and then maybe stop for a day and then get back in. and. And so, you know, that's been a struggle. The southwest part of the state that was hit so hard with the with the um, drought and has quite a bit of abandonment is just now getting started. I think what we're going to see over this holiday weekend coming up is a lot more people getting into the fields. I've talked to so many people who are like, we're going to start after the first, we're going to start after the fourth. And so I think um, next week we're just going to see a lot more people cutting. I mean, it's been hot and dry and windy over the last couple of days, and that's supposed to continue with, of course, some scattered storms in there. Um, I know there are areas where they've gotten quite a bit of hail and, and wind damage, um, especially in western Kansas. So we're seeing some of the effects of that as well. Absolutely. And I understand this weird weather has created some challenges differentiating, right? The SRW and the HRW wheat that the Kansas growers do grow both of. Marsha, could you fill us in a little bit on what's happening there? Yeah, and I don't think that's a, been a really big issue, but there has been um, some difficulty determining that when it comes to the elevator. So I think it's just really important to communicate what you have, what you're delivering, so that can be segregated. Um, the same thing with hard white wheat when that starts coming in in the southwest part of the state. Just be sure to tell your elevator what it is so that can be segregated. Each of those uh, classes of wheat has a different end use. And so it's just really important to know what you have and, and communicate that. That makes sense, Marsh. And of course, this this wheat crop, as you mentioned, that that uh, winter wheat is coming out now. Those growers looking at uh, at ex at uh, expectations coming down for those yields here across much of the state. I'm curious, as as you talk to your wheat farmer members, as they look out longer term over the the health of Kansas wheat, are they still optimistic for the future? Are these spring showers or these summer showers giving them some reason to uh, to get fired up again? Well, I think any rain um, we can get is is beneficial for, 
you know, it's too late for this year's crop, but let's look at, at corn and some of the, the beans that are going in behind wheat, uh, grain sorghum, like I mentioned, uh, those crops need the rain. And so that's, that's a bright spot that we are starting to see a little bit of change in pattern and, and start to get some rains. I think for the most part, people are, are ready to get this wheat crop over, um, look at some of those fall crops, and then um, start thinking about next year's wheat crop as well. I mean, there are, I, I mentioned the bright spots in yield, but also this is a really good quality crop. Um, we've got protein, uh, quite a bit of protein above average all over the place because of the drought stress. A lot of times you see higher protein in years of drought stress. Test weights have been good. Um, that may tend to go down as we see a little bit more showers on the on the crops. But so far, the quality is good. There's just a few less um, bushels this year. Yes, yes, indeed. That is the struggle with a dry weather season like this. Marsha, of course, Kansas wheat has been putting out harvest updates as harvest continues to make progress across the states. How long will you will you guys be publishing those updates? Well, we will do those until harvest is more like 80, 85, maybe 90 percent complete, uh, depending on how long that takes. I think some things will start moving more quickly, but I imagine that we'll be doing those at least through mid-July um, into maybe the later part of July. We made a decision this year with the fewer bushels to do those reports three days a week. We usually do them five days a week, but um, I think it was a good decision. This this harvest is kind of running behind schedule. Um, and so we you can look for those three days a week. You can go to our website to see those updates. You can also sign up. We'll email them to you um, on our website at ksweet.com. We also post those on um, our social channels, Twitter and Facebook at Kansas Wheat. So there's lots of opportunities to find that information. And I also encourage farmers if they um, have yield data or any information they'd like to share with us, even photos that they'd like to share with us to post, um, go ahead and tag us on those social channels or email us as well. Absolutely, folks. Be sure to do that. If you are curious about the progress of wheat harvest there across the state of Kansas, check out those harvest reports. Marcia, thanks for the update. Three days a week, they'll be coming. Get subscribed. I do. They come right into my inbox. Helps me understand what's moving in the markets. Grab those at kswheat.com. Folks, as I mentioned, we've been talking today with Marcia Boswell about the state of the Kansas wheat crop. Marcia, thank you so much for taking the time to join us here on AOA Today. Appreciate the opportunity, Mike. Thank you. Folks, stay with us. We're going to talk policy with Josh Baitke from Farm Progress here when AOA returns. We also got some news that the EPA says it will be issuing its final revised Waters of the U.S. rule by September 1st, 2023. We'll be back with more ag news here in just a moment. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. Corn is native to the American continent and was unknown to the rest of humanity until Columbus arrived in the New World in the 15th century. It took less than 100 years after Columbus's discovery for corn to be introduced to farmers in Asia, Africa, Europe, and the Pacific Islands. After wheat and rice, corn is the third most cultivated crop in the world. The four nations that purchase the most corn from the United States are Mexico and Colombia, who use it as a food ingredient, and Japan and South Korea, who buy it mainly for animal feed. Around one-third of the corn grown in the United States is eaten by livestock, another third is used in the production of ethanol fuel, and the rest is either consumed by humans, exported to other nations, or used industrially. Now that sweet corn, that's the variety that most Americans grill or boil for cookouts or just eat straight out of a can with a spoon, accounts for just 1% of all corn grown in the United States. These Farm Facts brought to you by the American Ag Network.
You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. Well, as we take a look at what's going on in the grain and livestock trade, it is a fairly quiet day on this Thursday so far. A little bit of short covering has finally taken place in this grain market after this bearish battering ram we've seen here throughout much of the week as traders have taken a lot of premium off the trading floor ahead of the potential rain coming into the Corn Belt. And we're starting to see some of that rain verify, expecting showers and thunderstorms today from Nebraska to Indiana, helping out some of the driest areas of the Corn Belt. But traders nonetheless are taking a little bit of a pause here. We also tomorrow have the quarterly grain stocks at acreage numbers out from USDA. So maybe a little bit of uh, position squaring ahead of those numbers. That's the biggest things in this grain market trade right now is the USDA reports on Friday and, of course, the weather and waiting to see if all of these rains in the forecast verify through the weekend and into next week for the July 4th holiday, typically a very pivotal uh, kind of swing point here in the market. Crude oil prices modestly weaker here in early trade as we work through our session. The stock market is mostly quiet as well. The Dow up around 150 points on the day. Livestock trade, hog traders squared up positions ahead of the quarterly hogs and pigs report that is due out this afternoon. The uh, all hogs and pigs number estimate for June 1 is 99.3%. A lot of folks could be watching the farrowing intentions, though. That's the area of most interest as those numbers are expected to be a little bit lower than last year's numbers. Overall, though, again, fairly quiet market trade on Thursday with mixed activity. Corn, beans, wheat, all trading a couple of cents either side of unchanged and mixed action in cattle and hogs as well. This is AOA. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. Take a look under your bed. Find stuff under there? What about jobs? No? Now try your basement. There's a pair of overalls that overall you're not so into anymore. A perfectly good laptop that hasn't sat in your lap in months. And even more stuff, but still no jobs? Well, you really have both. See, stuff is defined as household articles considered as a group. Sometimes this stuff is no longer needed. Wait, no longer needed? That can't be right. Because remember those jobs you were looking for? Those are really needed, and they're the stuff inside your stuff. Even inside that winter coat that moved with you to Phoenix. Our job is to unlock those jobs, and it starts when you donate your stuff to your local Goodwill. Here's how we do it. When you donate to Goodwill, we sell your stuff to provide job training for people right here in your community. So just by teaming up with Goodwill, you help create jobs. And isn't that worth parting with the leftover keytar from your 80s cover band? Goodwill. Donate stuff, create jobs. Find your nearest donation center at Goodwill.org. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. This is Mike Pearson, and you can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. It's time to dig into the world of policy from Washington, D.C. We're going to be speaking here with Josh Bakey. He is the policy editor for Farm Progress. And Josh, before we get into all of the issues I want to talk about with you, we did get a piece of news this morning, apparently from the EPA. It sounds like we're going to have a new WOTUS rule by September 1st. Is that your understanding? That's what I'm seeing, too. You know, this is kind of the kind of the story that, that doesn't die here. But, uh, you know, if you recall, uh, back in May, the, the Supreme Court uh, overturned part of the previous uh, uh, Waters of the United States rule issued by the president, uh, I believe, at the end of 2022. And uh, the, the change in that is, is, is basically uh, previously the, the rule stated, you know, under the terms of the Clean Water Act, that the uh, EPA has authority to uh, regulate the navigable waterways of the United States. And then the previous definition of that uh, released by the Biden administration, uh, that they it said bodies of water that include, quote, significant nexus to a navigable waterway are, uh, you know, fall into their jurisdiction. So this could be any of any, you know, small body of water, particularly wetlands. They say have some connections. The court ruled that that that, that the new standard is a continuous surface connection. So in other words, you know, body of water has to be directly connected to, uh, you know, to the navigable waterway. So uh, based on that ruling, the administration is going to now release a yet another WOTUS rule. And they're saying uh, by September 1st, we should uh, see what the details are on that. 
All right. Yeah, we keep hoping this issue is coming to a close, perhaps with this new rule there on about September 1st. We'll, we'll maybe get some closure on the WOTUS front. But in the meantime, Josh, we're continuing to see lots of other actions happen in Washington, D.C. There was a big announcement earlier this week from the USDA about $500 million in new funding for conservation efforts. Can you fill us in a little bit on, on what this is through? Yeah, this this is a, a uh, an existing program that the USDA uh, has called the, the Working Lands for Wildlife effort. Uh, kind of in summary, it it basically uh, compensates uh, landowners, you know, particularly agriculture producers, for uh, efforts that they uh, voluntarily voluntarily do to uh, preserve habitat for uh, you know targeted wildlife. And uh, this is a program. Uh, that USDA believes is very successful. I think they, uh, you know, they said they've had 8,400 8, uh, participants since uh, 2010, I believe was the number. And uh, what they're what they're wanting to do is uh, they're going to infuse $500 million into the program over the next uh, five years. Uh, additionally, the, the other interesting thing is they're looking to kind of consolidate their uh their conservation efforts under that umbrella. So one uh, particular particular interest is the uh, Conservation Reserve Program. Uh, you know, that program has been around, uh, I think it was introduced by President Reagan in the 80s, and it basically pays producers, uh, you know, to, to uh, establish land cover, uh, you know, prevent soil erosion, that kind of thing, and they're compensated for that. So this, that program, the CRP, is going to be under uh, the Working Lands for Wildlife umbrella, as will some other, you know, USDA has a whole set of of different conservation efforts. And they're looking to, to, to tie this into that uh, funding for it. It's going to come through the Farm Bill with also some funds provided through the uh, Inflation Reduction Act not last year. And uh, yeah, they, uh, to them, they, they, they're saying this is a big deal and they think they uh, expect it to be popular among producers. Interesting, Josh. I'm glad you mentioned the funding source. You mentioned some of it was coming from uh, the Inflation Reduction Act and some of it was from the Farm Bill. I assume this is from the 2018 Farm Bill, right? We've still got Correct. some dollars there that we're rolling out. Correct. And that, that that's kind of the key that, that they're trying to point out is this is not uh, additional funding. It's funding that they already have. They're just uh, you know allocating it in, in this manner now, but it's not. it doesn't represent any new funding at this point. Okay. All right. So now have they announced us? I assume it's just going to be a matter of once these dollars are available, producers probably best advised to talk with their local FSA office, Josh, I'd assume on something like this. Yes. Yeah, so I believe that is the case, and uh, you know, they, so they're going to be putting out more information as this uh, as this kind of kicks off. Here, uh, there's more information on their website about the program, and uh, I believe there's also um, some links to to uh, provide feedback and request more information on there. Well, there you go, folks. All right, check that out. But that's not the only place we're seeing some additional effort from the USDA. Of course, there has been a long focus, Josh, on disaster programs, livestock disaster programs now sort of taking taking central assistance or uh, uh, central focus here. Could you talk about some of the new legislation from uh, Senator Hoven of North Dakota and Tester there of Montana? Yeah, yeah, they introduced this bill last week. It's called the Livestock Disaster Relief Act. Uh, Relief Act. Sorry, I think they're you know hoping to tie this into the farm bill potentially. Uh, but basically, it, it involves uh, changes to two programs: the Livestock Forage Program and the Emergency Assistance for Livestock Program. Uh, for the Livestock Forage Forage Program, they're looking to uh, you know increase the coverage for monthly feed costs to eighty uh, percent. Uh, they want to include unweaned cattle as you know livestock eligible for this program. Uh, looking to increase uh, the number of months. Uh, ranchers can receive payments and uh, changing the, uh, the the formula used to use to calculate monthly feed costs. Um, they're also looking to uh, you know uh, specify drought as a covered you know adverse weather event and you know removing some of the red tape and restrictions on there and also uh, setting a setting a transportation cost for feed and water that they believe will more closely reflect what's actually going on on the ground. All right. And so this bill was just introduced, as you mentioned, there it was on the Senate side from Hoven and Tester there, North Dakota and Montana. Josh, and you also mentioned they're hoping to get this included as a package for the farm bill. Uh, from your perspective, as a policy editor who keeps an eye on Washington, D.C., are you expecting to see a number of bills that aren't going to get much of a push this year, but they could potentially go into that big stew that becomes the next farm bill? Absolutely. You know, this is, if you recall the, you know, omnibus spending bill last year, you know, this is one of the rare opportunities where you have, you know, kind of a, you know, giant bill with, with multiple, multiple things in there all passed at once. And, you know, this is at this point, you know, everybody's trying to get their priorities in, find a way to get them in, you know, the negotiations are heating up on this and yeah, everybody's trying to get their, their priorities tacked onto the, the final bill. So 
kind of remains to be seen if this uh, will happen or not. It remains to be seen, Josh. Since we're talking about the farm bill, and I didn't, I didn't cue you up to talk about this, but I heard comments last week by a, a Senate Chairman Debbie Stabenow that uh, perhaps this is a year we might need an extension. Are you hearing more of those comments coming in Washington D.C.? Yeah, I, you know, some of the people I've talked to, I'm, I'm hearing, uh, I'm, I'm hearing that, you know, there, there's a couple of. Uh, couple of key players in the house that are adamant that it will get past this session but at the same time i've had a couple of members of the same committee tell me like well maybe not this year we'll say this congressional term so uh, I, I don't want to name, name names on it at this point because but uh you know they're just there uh, there does seem to be a growing sense that uh this may not get done by september which is the the deadline for the current farm bill now, Josh, for those of us who don't live in the world of politics, not this year, but potentially during this congressional term, what timeline uh, is he giving himself there with that? Uh, they go out to the end of 2024? That that would basically yeah, the congressional terms are you know, every, uh, two years. You know, this this term began in January, so that would technically give him through the uh, the end of next December, you know, 2024, like you said. All right. So we'll see what happens with the farm bill. Glad to hear negotiations are ongoing and, and more lawmakers are getting those bills at least announced. Another one, Josh, that I thought was interesting. You wrote a piece on this last week. It's coming out of the House and it's a food aid bill. We have not seen much focus on food aid from the legislature in quite some time. This is the American Farmers Feed the World Act of 2023. And what are these legislators proposing? Basically, uh, there, there's uh, this is a little bit different than a lot of the food aid we hear, but this this deals more with uh, international food programs. Uh, for example, the USDA has a program uh, called the Food for for Peace, which uh, Food for Peace program, which uh, you know allocates millions and millions of dollars across the world for various uh, food programs. Uh, what what these uh, legislatures would like to do is you know prioritize. Uh, American-made products in food aid. So, for example, a lot of times uh, the money distributed by USDA will go towards, you know, third-party humanitarian groups. Uh, they might grow to purchase, you know, crops from other countries because, for whatever reason, maybe it's more logistically uh, easier or whatever. But uh, th this would would uh, this would encourage, or actually not encourage, it, it would require. Uh, more uh, American-made products to go towards international food programs. So obviously, this is very popular in the you know, agriculture industry. I think more than 50 organizations have endorsed it because, you know, obviously, this in theory mean more production for them, a uh, bigger market for them. And it would also give more congressional and USD oversight of this program to, uh, you know, some, some checks to make sure that, that American products uh, are being prioritized uh, in international aid, food aid programs. Interesting. Okay, so this would be a big shift. Josh, I just want to make sure I understand what's happening here in the situation now. U.S. Food for Peace or the other food aid programs, they get a chunk of money. They send that money potentially to the overseas party and they buy the food. This bill would require the food to be bought here in the U.S. Then we'd ship the food overseas. Is that the key change they're looking for? Yeah, that, that that's probably the biggest change. Like right now, it's 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 a mix, and, and they have more discretion over how to to do this this food aid. And you know, if, if this bill were to pass, then they would have certain set requirements over how much uh, American products they can use, and you know, any deviation of that would have to go through a whole other you know chain of uh, approvals before they'd be allowed to do that. Okay, now Josh, would a bill like this find a home in the farm bill, or would these legislators likely try to get it passed independently of that uh, big legislative package? You know, I I think they'd like to get it passed any way they they can, but I, I think again, you know, all, all of these bills, I I you know, from from my standpoint, I believe you know, have an eye towards getting in to the farm bill. You know, if it passes on its own, great, but but you know, right now there's no date for this to be uh, voted on independently like like a lot of these things they kind of refer to committee and we'll see what happens to them um but yeah i'd anticipate this is something they would hope to go into the farm bill i could be wrong but that that seems to be the the how these things are going these days it does i mean that's certainly what all of these folks seem to be pointing out eventually we're going to get this new farm bill done and they'd like to have uh, their piece of legislation included josh bakey of course policy editor at farm progress covers all of the issues that develop there in washington dc josh where can listeners find you Ah, you can find me at uh, farmprogress.com or uh, my last name, B-A-E-T-H-G-E, Joshua.Bakey at Farm Progress. Drop me a line. Love to hear from you. Fantastic. Keep up to speed on what's happening in D.C. Josh, thanks for joining us. And folks, stay with us. We'll have more AOA in just a moment. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA. 
Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. What do Mick Jagger, Barbara Walters, and Star Jones all have in common? They've all suffered from something called heart valve disease. Heart valve disease affects 11 million Americans, and if left untreated, can lead to death. Unfortunately, less than one in four Americans have much knowledge of this disease that kills more than 25,000 people every year. The good news is that if heart valve disease is treated, patients can recover and live long, happy, and productive lives. But in order to treat heart valve disease, you need to know if you have it. If you or your loved ones are over the age of 65, have been treated with radiation to the chest, have been diagnosed with a heart murmur, or have a history of heart disease, it's time to listen to your heart. Ask your doctor today about screening for heart valve disease. A message brought to you by Heart Valve Voice U.S. For more information about the symptoms and treatment for valve disease, go to heartvalvevoice-us.org. 54. So, basically, it's too late to start saving for retirement, right? Not right. Starting to save, even in your 50s, can really make a difference. Well, right now, saving seems hard to wrap my head around. Plus, with the way this year's been going... (laughs) Hey, listen. It's okay. You still got this. Just go to aceyourretirement.org. It's an online tool from AARP that can help you get your retirement savings on track no matter your age. It's free and only takes about three minutes. I like three minutes. Yeah. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll chat with Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach. Just answer a few questions and you'll get a personalized plan and tips to help boost your retirement savings. Tips that are easy to understand and tailored to your lifestyle. I like that too. Plus, it's sponsored by AARP, so you know they got your back. Just head to aceyourretirement.org and make your plan to start saving for retirement. Thanks. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, as we discuss how cooperatives support farmers and ranchers and build strong communities. Each week, we'll chat with voices from across the cooperative system. From global market access to local expertise, we'll explore how co-op ownership means you own a world of opportunities. Tune in on Tuesdays or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. Tune in the first Wednesday of every month to listen to the monthly grind here on AOA. It's brought to you by our friends at the National Corn Growers Association, and each month we're going to dig into one specific aspect of corn demand. What happens to this grain after it leaves your operations and enters the global supply chain? That's what we're going to talk about each month on the monthly grind. Again, that's the first Wednesday of every month, and you can also find us wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. It's a show you don't want to miss. In today's troubled world, our USA Armed Forces stand ready to protect you, your family, and our American way of life. When veterans return to civilian life, they deserve your recognition and support. You can help put vets to work by donating your car, truck, or van to Patriotic Hearts. Your donation will directly support programs to help vets find jobs or even start their own business. Donate today for fast, free pickup of your vehicle, running or not. Operators are standing by to answer questions about making a tax-deductible vehicle donation. Find out how you can make a difference in the life of a United States veteran. Call 800-209-6416 for 24-hour response. Call 800-209-6416. 800-209-6416. That's 800-209-6416. Our connections make powerful things happen, uniting individuals and communities. We are Rotary. We are people of action. And together, we turn great ideas into reality by accessing our networks, our experience, and the best of ourselves to make a difference. Around the world, Rotary brings leaders together to build new friendships and to solve problems. Like in Austria, where generations work side by side to build sustainable housing and community centers. In India, volunteers run a mobile blood bank to help provide a steady blood supply for their local community. And in Taiwan, people are working hard to get vulnerable citizens the support and services they need. With over one million members, we know what people can do when they come together. Take action with us. 
Find out more at rotary.org slash action. This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back to AOA, ladies and gentlemen. As we were just speaking about here a moment ago with Josh Bakey from Farm Progress, we are seeing some big investments coming out from the USDA. All of these are prior funded projects. As he mentioned, Farm Bill funding from 2018 or Inflation Reduction Act, that huge bill that was passed in the summer of 2021. Well, as of Thursday, we are awaiting another key announcement from the USDA. They informed news media that Secretary of Agriculture Tom Vilsack will be in Iowa on Thursday, and he will be there to announce a, quote, major investment by the USDA to expand meat and poultry capacity. As of now, we don't have any additional details on that announcement. Currently watching the emails to see when and where Secretary Vilsack will be making that announcement. No doubt we'll have some more information for you tomorrow. We've also got news from other legislative leaders around the country. Something that Agriculture of America is very, very proud of is our representation on the radio dial across this country. We are staunch believers that both AM and FM radio are fantastic tools for keeping information out there in the public for listeners when they want it, where they want it. And so we have had some concerns about claims made by car companies that they are going to be rolling back their AM radios. We saw this from Ford. We've heard this announced by several leaders in that industry that this is something they're exploring. Well, political leaders, elected leaders, legislators across the country are digging into this issue. And the Attorney General of South Dakota, Marty Jackley, recently wrote a letter to Congress. He addressed the Electric Drive Transportation Association and the Zero Emission Transportation Association in addition to Congress. And he said that, quote, eliminating AM radios in new vehicles would be detrimental to rural areas where AM stations may be the only reception available. He said many people rely on AM radio for severe weather updates and emergency information. And he has joined 16 other states now in encouraging Congress to pass legislation to keep AM radios in new vehicles. Folks, if you are listening to AOA on that AM dial, be sure to be active about this. Keep an eye on it. If that's a place you get information, by all means, let your legislator know. Let the regulators know that you rely on the information coming from AM radio. We certainly appreciate it. We believe that our affiliate stations throughout the country are the folks doing the boots on the ground work that then filters up into the national news media. And if we lose those stations on the ground, folks, we lose a vital piece of the picture of what constitutes America. Continue to support AM radio and support those legislators who are working to keep AM radio in cars, tractors, trucks, you name it, across the country. Looking back in the world of agriculture, we're thinking about expanding U.S. meat productions. We're thinking about growing U.S. flocks and herds. Of course, we have some concerns with animal diseases around the world. African swine fever on the hog side of the industry continues to battle. And HPAI, unfortunately, globally, continues to be a concern. Rates of infection in the northern hemisphere across North America, parts of Europe, and in Asia seem to be declining from HPAI. However, it was announced earlier this week that Japan has suspended poultry purchases from the Brazilian state of Espiritu Santo after a bird flu outbreak among domesticated animals on a farm. This was a, a mixed flock farm, mixed poultry farm. They had ducks, mallards, geese, and chickens. And this is Brazil's first HPAI case not found in the wild. So concerns there as that country now grapples with the export restrictions that can come with an HPAI outbreak. But that wasn't the only news out of Brazil. We've talked a lot about the optimism in Brazilian agriculture this year. Our friend Pedro Denek has been on the program many times talking about the, the optimism that Brazilian growers feel. And that optimism is reflected in the economy. Brazil's central bank earlier today 
issued a wave of upward revisions on the country's economic growth. Uh, they note that their quarterly inflation report, they expect to see a 2% expansion in GDP. That would be nearly double what they saw back in the month of March. And this is uh, actually slightly below what private economists are expecting to see in that country. Uh, the private economists expect to see Brazilian growth over 2% here this next year. And uh, they're looking for a 2.9% GDP expansion across that country as we get deeper in to 2023. And economic expansion has been a watchword for central bankers here lately. We've heard ongoing concerns about the rate of inflation and the pace of interest rate hikes. And seems as though the global trading community looks to the United States for input on where interest rates could go next. And to that end, Fed Chairman Jerome Powell yesterday, while speaking to a group of central bankers at a conference in Madrid, Spain, at the Bank of Spain, he reiterated comments he's made several times since the last Fed's policy meeting, which is driving home the point that many, many committee participants, those Fed boards of governors on the Fed Open Market Committee, they do expect that it will be appropriate to raise interest rates two or more times by the end of the year. He notes that inflation pressures continue to run high and the process of getting inflation back down to 2%, quote, has a long way to go. We are not out of the woods here on the inflation front. Looking north of the border, of course, a lot of Americans over the past two weeks have been dealing with things from north of the border as that Canadian wildfire smoke has pushed its way across much of the growing season, raising concerns about shading on a crop that's already dealing with below average moisture. However, Canadian farmers got some pretty good planting done this year. We're starting to get some data out of the country of Canada and nationwide up there. Farmers planted 26.9 million acres of wheat. Looking at those higher prices coming into this growing season, they chose to plant 6.7% more wheat than the year before. Increase in overall wheat was led by acres in spring wheat this year, which rose 8% to 19 and a half million acres. Also saw another half percent rise in Durham wheat. That crop now totals 6 million acres across the country of Canada. Winter wheat, primarily in eastern Canada, also saw substantially more acres. Worth noting, it was up 20% across that country, only coming in at 1.4 million acres there at the end of the day. Folks, join us on tomorrow's AOA. We'll have more programs taking a look at what is developing here in the world of agriculture. We'll also take a look at how the markets are looking as we move into this 4th of July holiday. Thanks for listening to AOA, folks. Join us right here again tomorrow for more of the program. Have a great day. This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Why do you listen? I just want to stay informed while I'm on the go. News on the radio, it's nice because it's just a quick snippet and I don't have to go searching for it or grab a paper. I listen to radio because anywhere that I'm going, I'm listening to music or I'm listening to a talk show or I'm just trying to stay up on current events. I always turn into the radio to see if I need to take shelter, where it's hitting, to see what I need to be preparing for. Why do you listen? Go to whyilisten.com, tell us why you listen, and you have a chance to win $500. Visit whyilisten.com today. On the internet, there are tons of special networking websites, but one stands apart. This one saves lives. It's MatchingDonors.com. MatchingDonors.com links organ donors with people in need of kidney and other transplants. Did you know in the U.S., 19 people die each day waiting for an organ transplant? If you've ever considered becoming a living organ donor, or if you're someone in need of an organ transplant, please visit MatchingDonors.com. You are not your diagnosis. A medical chart is not your identity. And vision loss does not define you. Your drive shows who you are. And you are not alone. Because we are driven too. To be a beacon of strength. A champion of courage. An advocate for hope. You are not alone. Because we are stronger together. We drive the research for the cures we are finding. We're fighting macular degeneration. Retinitis pigmentosa. 
Usher syndrome, and the entire spectrum of blinding retinal diseases. We fund. We fight. We, we win. win. We, we, we are the Foundation, foundation Fighting, fighting blindness. blindness. Together, we are fighting blindness. Join the fight at fightingblindness.org.